This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're joined in uh, this portion of our program. Should be a very interesting discussion. Gentleman has joined us previously. Um, his name is Jonathan Bell. He's an attorney, an employment attorney, small business expert, founder of Bell Law Group. Um, the Bell Group represents individuals in employment that are not being paid in accordance with the law or being sexually harassed and are not being accommodated due to a disability such as a pregnancy, discrimination. Uh, he talks about a number of uh, issues in the news, and he's going to be sh- sharing some thoughts with us today in this portion of our program. It's First of all, it's nice to um, speak with you again. I hope you've been well. I've been very well. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, having me back on. It's been a little while, and a lot of things have changed. <laughs> since I last was on, but it's nice yeah. to uh, be here again. And thank you for welcoming me into the studio. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, with the start of 2021, um, outside of the whole series of things that took place on Wednesday at the, uh, the Capitol, which we'll get into in a way talking about that in, in just a couple of minutes, there've been a number of changes that have taken place, uh, especially uh, in New York State. Uh, one of the things that happened with the start of the year is the state's minimum wage went up. How exactly is that working? So uh, there's been a push to increase the minimum wage statewide to $15 an hour, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been, it's been done incrementally. So New York City is already at $15 an hour. It took them a little bit to get there, especially for small employers, but that's gonna remain the same. Uh, Long Island West and Westchester is up to $14 an hour from $13 an hour. So if you've been previously paying for employers, if you've been previously paying $13 an hour, you need to up automatically all your employees retroactive to January 1st to $14 per hour. The rest of the state also increased. The rest of the state was at $11.80. And now uh, New York State is requiring them to pay at a minimum $12.50. And that applies to all of your employees. Even if you have a live-in nanny, like live-in nannies are, 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 are some people believe that they're exempt because they live in, uh, they somehow agree to some type of flat fee at the end of the week. Uh, they're hourly employees, and if they're in a place other than New York City or Long Island and Westchester, they have to be paid at least twelve fifty in Long Island and Westchester, fourteen dollars an hour in New York City, including the boroughs. We're looking at fifteen an hour. 
Now, just hearing you say that, one of the thoughts that strikes me and uh, struck me uh, about a month and a half ago when I was starting to explore this uh, change upcoming is why are there so many different wage levels in a geographic area that's, you know, relatively speaking, not that far apart? I mean, you know, one wage level in New York City, another wage level in Long Island, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, isn't this kind of uh, difficult to, to keep up with? And what, what leads to the disparity there? It's very difficult to keep up with, especially when we're talking about 1250 or 14 or 15. It wasn't always like this, but I guess, um, you know, Governor Cuomo uh, and some of the other uh, Democrats of the party, uh, and I'm sure some Republicans also thought it was important to move to that $15 an hour wage. And they looked at what they, what they uh, presume is more affluent areas like New York City, and then probably one step underneath Long Island, Westchester, uh, as places that could afford it a little bit uh, easier to get a, to get to that $15 an hour a little bit faster. They also took into consideration um, the uh, you know how expensive it is to live in the boroughs and Long Island and Westchester versus the rest of the state. So they're trying to uh, pay people a livable wage a wage that they could afford, you know, when you're talking about someone who has a full-time job, they should be able to pay for rent and food and things of that nature without requiring a second job. So because the prices in Long Island and Westchester are a little bit higher, or especially in New York City, they take those matters into consideration and they want people working, you know, one job and having time to be there for their family and being, being, being able to afford a, uh, a good lifestyle. Okay, um, that's you know, that raises a whole lot of questions about this idea of uh, affordability, and it gets into a lot of other areas too. But I'm glad that you explained that. So those changes with the minimum wage took effect January 1st of this year. Um, what else, from a I guess a regulatory standpoint in terms of employment has changed in New York state? Well, another big one, uh, Bob, is the New York paid sick leave. So now uh, every employee is enti entitled to uh, sick leave. Now for employers that have a hundred or more employees, it's mandatory that they provide their employees with 50 hours of paid sick leave. So that's huge. If you have uh, anywhere between five to 99 employees, you have to give your employees 40 hours of paid sick leave. If you have one to four employees and you net less than $1 million, you have to give them 40 hours of leave, it's unpaid. However, if you net more than $1 million, you're in the same category of the five to 99 employees where you're required to give your employees 40 hours of paid sick leave. Now, New York City had something like this in the past alone. There was New York City law as a paid sick leave law. So now the entire New York state kind of adopted it. And then in addition for the, for the employees, for the employers who have over a hundred employees gave 16 hours more. 
uh, of leave that's required in New York State. So that's one of the uh, big changes that I'm getting some calls on. Uh, essentially, uh, it's a matter of accruing it. You get uh, one hour for every 30 hours worked, or your employer could just front load it. It's up to them if they don't want to keep track of it. But that's a that's a real significant change, uh, uh, Bob. Now there are some some employers that already had 40 hours given to the employees plus some vacation pay and personal days, and they said, well, if that equates to 56 hours or 40 hours or whatever requirements are, you don't have to give anything in addition to that. You could already use whatever policy you had in the past, but if you have a policy that's less than that, you have to now increase or change your policy. So every employer should really be looking at their handbook to make sure that they are complying with the law. Every employee should be looking at the handbook and speaking with their employers, making sure that they're aware of the law. And if they're confused, I mean, listen, Bob, to be honest with you, it's very difficult to be an employer in New York. It's like a moving target. You feel like, you know, you, you, you figured everything out and then there's changes with minimum wage, New York paid sick leave, New York family leave, then you have the COVID leave. And, does, and how does the COVID leave relate to the New York paid sick leave and the New York paid family? It's very difficult. So a lot of big companies, they'll have an in-house attorney who could explain it. Other medium to small uh, firms or businesses, they contact a firm like mine to kind of help them work through it or they have a good uh, HR department that keeps up on the law. But the problem is, is that if you're not following the law and you're not keeping your eye on the ball, you could be subjecting yourself to big time liability. I would imagine so. Um, now, you mentioned the New York paid family leave. How is that differing this year from in the past? So uh, prior to this, there they allowed 10 weeks uh, of family leave uh, that paid, it's about two thirds of your weekly salary. It's not paid by the employer per se, all the employees contribute uh, in their paycheck uh, uh, to this leave. Now, historically, you really can't use the leave for yourself. You have to use the leave for a family member who's suffering from an illness, um, or you could leave it, you could use the leave to bond after, you, after the birth of a child or the adoption or a foster child you could use it for. You can't use it prior to the time you give birth, but you could use it up to a year after you give birth to a child to bond with your child. And again, it pays two thirds of your weekly pay up to $971.61 a week. So it does cap out, but it's 12 weeks. So, I mean, that that is great for employees, because normally all they could rely on is FMLA, which is federal, and it's very difficult to qualify for FMLA. You have to work for an employer with 50 or more employees. You have to be there for at least a year. Through the year, you had to work at least 1,250 hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, spewing all these numbers. As you can tell, it's very, very precise. It's very, very confusing. And uh, I'm really trying to give a general background as to the different minds you have in the field as you try to cross it, but you really should be working with an expert. 
Well, you know, that's, that's the thing is it's, this sounds so complex, so complicated because you know, you're talking about one thing with the New York uh, paid family leave, but yet there's this federal program. So do the two, can the two work together? I mean, which, which, I guess, which takes precedence? Yeah, so, so if you happen to work for an employer that, uh, uh, that you qualify for FMLA, fam the Family Medical Leave Act, then uh, you, you serve them concurrently. One thing they have uh, the same is 12 weeks. It's 12 weeks of leave. Uh, but the benefit of the New York State is that it's paid paid at least a two thirds, but paid. FMLA is historically not paid. It's basically, we'll hold, we'll let you go. We're not, we don't have to pay you anything. We'll hold your job and it, it'll be available for, for at least uh, 12 weeks. Okay, now this brings up an interesting area because I've always wondered about this. Um, I guess the skeptic in me is going to say, well, wait a minute. How is it that your job is being held for 12 weeks and what exactly does that mean in so, the real world yeah so really well and, and it, it, it could be difficult for employers right but at the same token uh let me give you an example in my law firm we had one staff member she gave birth to a beautiful boy and she went and she's now out on uh family medical leave to care for that boy and um she has this entitlement now. Now I not that I would, but I can't now go and hire somebody to replace her, and then when she's ready to come back, say there's no job for you here. Mm -hmm. I'm required by law to make sure that when she comes back, she's in the same position that she was when she left. So in other words, the way that the law is is they don't want uh, her to be punished for having a child and using this leave and being out. So it offers certain job uh, protections, which I think is very, very uh, important and, and good. Now, does it put a little bit of um, an onus on the employer to somehow uh, uh, continue to function or operate without that uh, person producing? Yes, but you know what? We're resourceful. You could hire temporary people. Uh, you could ask the people there to pitch in a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's 12 weeks. It's not the end of the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a give get situation. Everybody has to, uh, uh, put, put their hands on board and try to work through this. Okay. Now we come to the other interesting area here and you alluded to this. How does COVID factor into this whole idea of leave? because basically we were introduced to a whole new world in 2020. Yeah, so uh, for COVID leave, it's like a whole nother animal and it's on top of paid sick leave. So it's not concurrent with paid sick leave. Obviously we had the families first, uh, which now expired December 31st, but New York state has their own uh, law. So uh, essentially the way, I mean, there's so many different situations, Bob, but let me give you an example. If I get, let's say I had an employer and I get sick uh, with COVID and I have some medical proof of that, 
well, I have to quarantine for 14 days. Okay. Right. So, uh, if, if I work for an employer that has 100 or more employees, they have to give me those 14 days of paid sick leave. And again, that's on top of the New York state paid sick leave. So I can't take it off of there. So that's uh, fully paid for 14 days. If, I'm, if, I, if I work for an employer that has 11 to 99 employees, I'm entitled to five days of paid sick leave, but then I could go on the family medical leave of New York State and get two thirds my salary for the rest and potentially disability benefits if they exist. If I work for an employer with 10 or fewer, I could go right on paid family leave, uh, but they don't, so they don't have to contribute, but they have to keep all, all of these uh, conditions, whether you have 10, 11 to 99 or 100, you have to secure my job. You have to hold my job and make sure it's available for when I come back after that 14 days of quarantine. So then, so that's, that's the most common issue. Then the second issue is, well, what happens when you have to take care of your child who's now uh, learning from home? You could then apply for the paid family leave under New York State, um, you know, which is the, uh, which is the 12 weeks uh, for that period of time. Um, uh, however, if you could work from home and do some type of telework, uh, which a lot of my lawyers can and my staff can, then you're not entitled to that. The, the uh, employer has to make accommodations to allow you to work from home. They can't just make you come in because they want you to come in. Mm. We're talking with uh, Jonathan Bell on our program. Uh, Jonathan is an employment attorney, small business expert, founder of Bell Law Group. Um, where do people find Bell Law Group on the web, by the way? Uh, belllg.com. Belllg, as in law group, uh, dot com. So three L's, or they can reach out to me at 855-JOHN-BELL. That's 566-2355. All right. Now, we were talking about um, COVID uh, just couple moments ago. Um, how has that, I guess, impacted the kind of inquiries that you get? I mean, what, what kind of questions are you getting from people, especially from employers surrounding COVID? Well, it, interestingly, sometimes I'll get a call from an employer who's actually concerned about one of the elderly employees and actually uh, tells the employee you know, listen, because of your age and because I believe you're vulnerable, I think it's best that you don't come, uh, come in. And, uh, you know, so technically you'll, you're term terminated and you should uh, apply for unemployment benefits. Now, even though the employer's heart might be in the right place, it's still discrimination because uh, when you're, you're, you're treating them differently because of their age, they're over 40, they're part of a protected class, and it's up, for the, it's up to the employee, not the employer, to decide if they feel uh, safe or vulnerable in coming into the workplace. So we, we have gotten calls like that before. Uh, I've gotten calls from people who have disabilities who are actually vulnerable, and they describe a situation where they feel like they can work from home and the employer is refusing them. So the employer really must, ha must have a good reason why they don't have why they don't allow that employee to work from home before they deny that because that's could easily satisfy as a reasonable accommodation as long as the employee could show 
they can, that they can perform the essential functions of their job from home. Like I said, many of my attorneys could do that. Uh, you know, maybe my reception person who's supposed to greet guests or clients as they walk in the door, she might not be able to do that, but certainly my attorneys can. So that's the distinguishing factor. For example, in a supermarket chain, if your job is to stock or be a cashier, obviously those positions cannot be performed at home. So you gotta look at you gotta look at it individually, the job duties and functions, and does it lend itself uh, to a work from home environment? Uh, so that's a big one that we get questions on uh, relating to COVID, and you know reasonable accommodations are big. Uh, the third call we're getting, uh, um, I wouldn't say often, but it, but it's picking up is you know now that the vaccines are coming out. I get in call. I'm getting calls from whether it be employees or employers, because the employers are questioning whether or not uh, they could require the employees to take the vaccine. And um, the short answer is generally yes. An employer can require an employee to take a vaccine, but there is a big exception to that. The exception is that if the employee suffers from a disability, and and uh, medically should not take a vaccine due to this medical condition, then the employer needs to engage in what's called the interactive process and see if there's some type of accommodation. Um, so that's generally the, the types. Oh, what, one more big topic that I'm getting questions on. A lot of people now uh, are working from home and a lot of people are not on salary. There are hourly wage employees. So what's happening is for hourly wage employees, you, the, the employer is responsible to really take very accurate hours of the person working for purposes of pay. And that's becoming increasingly difficult. And some employers are expecting their employees to work beyond those defined hours and not compensating them, whether they're essentially scheduling, uh, sending texts or emails, or a lot of employees just on their own, their home, so they might be working longer hours and not reporting it. Technically, the, the employer needs to tell the employees that they could only work during certain hours when they're authorized, and the employer has to keep very specific track of those hours. If not, they could be responsible under federal law for the FLSA, as well as New York State and New York City uh, wage and hour laws as well. So there's a lot of changes. I mean, people love working from home, but the employer has to understand that there are certain formalities that, that are going to follow these employees to their home office. All right. Now, one of the thoughts uh, coming out of uh, that whole series of incidents from uh, Wednesday at the Capitol with the whole uh, riot that took place basically there surrounds this idea of insurance claims uh, stemming from the breach of the capital and what that means for um, the federal government. Realistically, Jonathan, what protection does the federal government have against those insurance claims or insurance claims coming, let's say, from family members of the people who may have perished in the breach? Sure. Well, it, it's not easy, as you could imagine, to sue the federal government 
historically, they've been entitled to sovereign immunity. However, in 1946, they passed something called the Federal Tort Claims Act. Now, the United States government is self-insured. They don't go out and buy private insurance. They're insured on their own. They, uh, they self-insure. So essentially, if you want to bring a claim against the United States government, you have to exhaust your administrative remedies, meaning you have to file a complaint against the particular agency who you intend to sue. Uh, so in this situation, it would be the Capitol Police needs to receive a claim first, have a chance to try to resolve it within six months before the family could then go to district court. Now, I'm, I'm talking really in theory. However, when you have people breaching the Capitol, there's a lot of uh, there's very easy defenses, such as assumption of risk, that the person was trespassing, that the police officers were using the force that's required for their job. There was self-defense. So realistically, I'd be surprised if any claims really arise uh, through this act, they're gonna have to show some type of excessive, unreasonable force. And I don't know uh, any jury uh, or judge for that matter that would really buy that. Now there is uh, a, uh, a law enforcement officer that unfortunately perished uh, during this breach when you're injured or even worse, a wrongful death in the course of your employment, your sole remedy is typically workers' compensation. So the family can file a workers' compensation claim, uh, which ultimately uh, will be resolved, but it's not filed in district court. It's more of an, in an administrative setting. Mm. Pretty interesting, but also a pretty complex situation, to say the least. One will certainly be watching. Jonathan Bell, employment attorney, small business expert, founder of Bell Law Group, um, on the web at belllg, that's all this one word, dot com, our guest this portion of our program. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us, sharing the insights that you have um, with this um, situation and the aftermath of the breach of the Capitol and also about these changes taking place in uh, New York State, too. Uh, it must be, at times, quite a challenge keeping up with all these different things that um, change from a regulatory standpoint in the state versus things changing on the federal level. Bob, you have no, <laughs> you have no idea. Trying to keep up with this stuff, manage a law firm, deal with our cases that we have inside. It, it's, you know, that's why I work the way that I work. But, it, it, but you know, all in all, I actually uh, believe it or not, I enjoy it. And uh, one thing about the law and the changes I like is that you could always learn, and learning is a good thing. Learning is how we grow. There you go. That's the right approach to take. Jonathan, thank you very much. Certainly continued good health for you and uh, certainly the best as you move forward in 2021. Thanks a lot, Bob. You, you as well. It's uh, really great seeing you again. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for having me on as always. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.